Welcome to Impact Ed with Ailey Independent School District. I'm H.D. Chambers, the superintendent, and we're here talking about the greater change, changes in the Houston area with Dr. Steve Kleinberg, professor of sociology at Rice University and the founding director of the Kinder Institute over 37 years ago. <laughs> so, uh, Dr. Kleinberg, thank you for being with us this morning as we visit on education issues and how those, how the changes in the greater Houston area are, uh, are impacting education. Uh, you bet, H.D. It's a great honor and pleasure to be here. Absolutely. If you don't mind, uh, just spend just a couple of minutes, Steve, talking a little bit about uh, your work over the last 35 to 37 years, watching the, and looking at the changes that have happened across the Houston area. Well, you bet. I mean, we did our first survey back in 1982. Houston was booming. One million people moved into Houston. 82% of the jobs in the city were tied into the price of oil. The big employers was Hughes Tool Company, Cameron Ironworks, good blue-collar jobs. And then suddenly, the oil boom collapsed. And by the end of 1983, 100,000 jobs were lost in this booming city. So we said, we better do a survey again. And for 37 years, taking a random sample of Harris County residents, reached by random telephone numbers, 50% now cell phone, 50% landline, asking people with identical questions over the years, how do you see the world? What is happening in your life? And watching the world change. And over the 37 years, what are things that that stand out? Obviously, what you just described, what happened in the early eighties, the collapse a, of the oil boom, the collapse of the oil boom had a yeah. significant impact yeah. on this on this region. Talk about that just a little bit and what you, you've learned. You bet. It was just a remarkable kind of city went into major recession with the collapse of the oil boom, and then recovered by nineteen ninety into a different economy where the source of wealth now has much more to do with education than it did with natural resources in the past. A demographic revolution because all the growth of Houston was. Anglos pouring into the city during the 60s and 70s, during the oil boom after 1982, the Anglo population stopped growing. And all the growth of this, the most rapidly growing city, has been the influx of African-Americans, Latinos, and Asians. And this biracial southern city dominated by white men has become the single most ethnically diverse major metropolitan area in the country. And then a new awareness that if Houston's going to make it, it has to become an, an, an attractive destination of choice, a place where the best and the brightest people in America working at the cutting edge of knowledge, putting that knowledge into commercial ventures. The resource of the knowledge economy is housed between the ears of the best and the brightest people in America who can live anywhere. And quality of life issues have now become central to the pro-growth agenda for Houston. So it's a city at the forefront of what's happening across all of America, nowhere more clearly seen or more sharply articulated than in Houston, Texas. I've been in Houston since uh, 86, 1986, graduated college and, and moved out here and to work. The, the depths of the recession. The depths of the recession. But I was 22 and I didn't have a clue. <laughs> I, uh, I was making $21,000 a year teaching hey. school and coaching high school football in Aldine and thought I was the richest man on planet Earth. <laughs> well, you were maybe. In if you don't, along along that time period, because I got into education, I was I was teaching, like I said, I was teaching high school kids in, in the Aldine School District. Uh how did you see the education? How did you see what occurred over the last previous five years? How did that impact education at that time? Yeah, I mean, the, the, the story of Houston and Texas is that you didn't need education to make money in Texas. You made money by land, by exploiting all the things you could do on the land. The great Texas fortunes were built out of cotton, timber, cattle, oil. 
the source of wealth in the 21st century will have less and less to do with natural resources, which was a basis for the wealth of Houston and Texas, and more to do with human resources, with knowledge and skills. And Texas and Houston have to play catch-up because we never paid much attention to education. We never thought it was important. That's not how you made money. It now is the only way you can make money. The, the good, blue-collar, semi-skilled or unskilled jobs have disappeared in this new global economy. Companies can produce goods anywhere, sell them everywhere. If you're doing a job I can train a third-world worker to do, and I pay that third-world worker $15 a day to do that job, I'm not going to pay you $15 an hour. And if you're doing a job that I can program a computer to do, I will soon be replacing your job with an intelligent machine. We are in a new world where education, always a nice thing to have, has become absolutely essential to a person's ability to earn enough money to support a family in the global knowledge economy of the 21st century. It, so that, that's where education comes in, obviously. Yeah, I, I don't. You, you can't have this conversation in a vacuum. I mean, it, it's it's one thing. Um, it's one thing for it to be an interesting trip down memory lane, right? When mm. you start looking at how this all impacted yeah. what we're doing right now, but uh, in the profession that that I'm in, and in what local, both public, private, char, doesn't matter. Any educational entity, what they're attempting to do right now is react to literally a century of not a whole lot of emphasis being placed That's on right. education. Exactly. You know, for good reason, in a way. I mean, you know, you could not make money in Houston. You, you bought a house and it doubled in value in, in five years. You, you put a hole in the ground and suddenly you're a millionaire. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. It's a different world today. It, it is. It, it is. I... Uh, Talking about a little bit about your the survey, and and this is going to be kind of a historical look at it. Mm-hmm. But what what have you noticed since that time period, and and up through I guess you know the most recent one? What has been the Houston area's opinion of education? Um, and then how how has that changed? I mean, you just said it's it's changed dramatically from you didn't need one to make money to now you right you have to have one. Yeah, we've been watching with this rep- random sample of Houstonians a growing understanding of the critical importance of education. The important so a question that we asked ten years ago in two thousand and nine, and then the identical question asked today that said. The schools have enough money, if it was used wisely, to provide a quality education, or the schools will need significantly more money to provide a quality education, if it was used wisely. I mean, you say that to people in court, you know, it's being wasted. Yeah. And, and every year, so we stopped asking the question after 2009, it was a 50-50 split. We came back and asked an identical question this year, 56% to 40% said the schools will need more money. That recognition... That if that you get what you pay for in this capitalist world of ours, and and we need to enhance our ability to educate this next generation for the jobs that will be there for the competitive uh, success of these folks as they as they compete for the jobs of the 21st century. And the the other question we asked for the first time this year was, uh, are you in favor or opposed to increasing local taxes in order to provide quality preschool education for every child in Houston? increasing local taxes. You started a question with that, and we thought, okay, maybe 55%. 67% of Harris County residents said, I'm in favor of increasing local taxes, provide quality preschool, and only 30% opposed. And as you and I know, because we've been on these on these uh, on the early matters group, that's correct, right? And the moment of truth in education is third grade reading. If you're not reading at third grade level in third grade, you are four times more likely to drop out of high school. The single most powerful predictor, whether you can read at third grade level, is 
is did you start kindergarten ready to learn to read? And rich kids in Houston start kindergarten one and a half to two years ahead of poor kids. And that gap and that 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 need to catch up is you know really profoundly affects the the, the livelihoods and opportunities of of African American and Latino kids who are the future of Houston. So let's let's spend a little time right there because you and I, as, as you know, we the last several years we've been a a part of the early matters movement, which mm-hmm. has kind of turned into good reason. But regardless of what the name is, it's 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 about doing everything we can do to address the literacy issue in this That's in this city, right. yeah. and from from birth to college, from cradle to career. Yes, sir. And 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 um, I found it interesting whenever you, when you reported the first time that you guys had asked a question, would you support raising your taxes to pay for for some type of early childhood right. full day pre K? Um, what is it about that? Do you, do you, what is it about that question that you think generated such a positive response? Do you think the early matters conversation over the last several years has led to people believing that, or where do you? What's your sense of how that's become on the forefront of not just educators' minds, but on the general population's mind? Yeah, I think and it's so hard to know how these things what what what, what accounts for these changes, right? But uh, I think early matters probably did have some impact in sort of getting that on the on the table for people to to realize. And I think there's a natural understanding that the babies' brains are growing by by sixty percent in ages zero to, to six. Rich kids. By the time they're four years old, I've heard 30 million more words than than poor kids spoken to them. All that that clearly uh, underlies a kind of a logical understanding of of the nature of human growth and human capacity. And and I I would tell you in my in my role um, as a superintendent in, in in a district that that has you want to talk about diversity. It's as diverse as there is out there. Uh, but it, it, I've noticed the same thing where. The general population, whether they have children in the, in the system or not, has begun to understand the the importance of getting to kids at one, two, three before years old, age six, yeah. before they yeah. get to school. Yeah, um, that's right. For 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 those parents who might listen to this conversation, and maybe parents of a one year old, a two year old, or who may be parent, uh, adult uh, families that are getting ready to have their first children. Mm-hmm. What's your convert? What's what is your professional advice to them in order for their little boy, their little girl to be as ready to go to school to compete with those wealthy kids in school? What what, what are you telling them? Well, I mean, was, we all just talk to this kid, sing to the kid, uh, read to the kid. You know, uh, right from the beginning, even though you think they might not understand, it's those hearing of those words while the brain is is just sending out these synapses and growing at this incredible rate uh, and and uh, you know take advantage of every opportunity there is the great problem is of course poor parents parents of low income have to work at two or three different jobs it's very expensive to send a kid to private preschool and we and one of my concerns is that we have not in this effort to to bring it to, to that early matters originally had the intention of ensuring that every single child gets access to quality preschool that takes money and where does the money come from is a is a great challenge. And Houston has made it was successful on the basis of a of a, a philosophy of minimum taxes, minimum regulations, minimum uh, role of government in a free enterprise system built a city built by for and on behalf of developer decisions. Now having to rethink the public spaces and the public needs as we go forward. The other thing that's so critical is the aging of Anglo's and the young people across America and particularly clearly in Houston 
are disproportionately non-Anglo, especially African-American and Latino. The two groups the most likely to be living in poverty. We know what poverty does to your ability to succeed in the public schools. I tell anyone who will listen, it is a safe statement to make that if Houston's African-American and Latino young people are unprepared to succeed in the global knowledge economy of the 21st century, it is difficult to envision a prosperous future for Houston. That is who we are and will be as the 21st century unfolds. And we're there first. All of America will look like Houston looks in about 25 years. So how we navigate this transition will have enormous significance, not just for the Houston future, but for the American future. This is where the American future is going to be worked out. So no pressure, Houston. No pressure. (laughs) (laughs) So whoever's listening. But it's true. I mean, it's really, you know, it's hard to imagine Los Angeles or Chicago or Miami being in a better position than Houston to say. And, And the other big thing that we find in our surveys over the years is increasing embrace of the diversity, increasing celebration of this is who we are. We may not, not never have chosen that on our own, but we are where all of America is going to be. We're there first. Uh, and and uh, and there's an interesting, increasing positive views of of comfort with diversity, of support for immigration, predicted among Anglo's primarily by age. Younger Anglo's take for granted what we older Anglo's are struggling to accept. Right, so I tell you, gotta be gentle with us old Anglo's. But you can see the process unfolding as we That's, go forward. That that very, very interesting. I think most of us that are <laughs> our generation who have younger children, our own children, yeah. are, are are recognizing right. that. Right. And, and 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 for even for my parents, who's a different generation exactly. Exactly. with their grandkids, it's 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 a it's a, it's so that's a, what it means to live in a time of such dramatic changes. There's a law of whom of human nature that says what I am familiar with feels right and natural. What I'm unfamiliar with feels unnatural and somehow not quite right. And that's what you see playing out in this process. But us old Anglo's can change too, and we can <laughs> increasingly celebrate this tremendous variety of the richness of Houston that has come from this diversity is is just unmistakable to almost anybody. And I, and I, your your your. Com- your comments and, and some of the things you've said publicly on many of your speaking engagements around this idea of diversity and either there there is no there is no gray area. We either get it right with mm-hmm. our African-American and Latino children or we don't as a city or as a region prosper. Right, right. I mean, there's no there's no middle ground. Is that a fair is that a fair assessment? Well, I think the key thing when you look at the differences by age is the aging of the baby boom generation of Anglos turning 73 this year and moving rapidly into into older age and the younger folks disproportionately non-Anglo no force in the world will stop Houston or Texas or America from becoming more African American, more Asian, more Latino and less Anglo as the 21st century unfolds. Nothing in the world can stop that. So the only question our generation has been given is, okay, how do we make this work? How do we ensure that this diversity becomes a tremendous asset that it can be as we position ourselves in the global economy, second largest port in the country, gateway to the global marketplace, and make sure it doesn't end up tearing us apart and becoming a major liability? That's, that's the question for the Houston future, and that's what makes education and the work that, that you guys are doing here in A-Leaf so critical to building the Houston of the 21st century. You're... you're um there are some school systems. We'll talk specifically about. I mean, obviously, we can talk about a leaf, uh, but but we're made up. This Greater Houston area is made up of approximately seventy-five to eighty school districts. Wow! You know, from Brazoria County yeah. to Harris County to Montgomery County and Fort Bend County. It's gigantic. It's oh, it's huge. Greater Houston metropolitan. It area. is, and and of the five point four million school-age children in Texas, almost twenty-eight percent of them live 
in this geographic wow. area that yeah. you're that we're talking about right now. More than a quarter of all the more than a quarter of every student in Texas, Texas. Yeah. is in this area. Mm-hmm. Um, over a, almost a almost a little over close to the same amount is the number of teachers in Texas teach in this area. So I, I my my. My thoughts have always been, and I'm interested in your reaction to this. My thoughts have been, um, if we're gonna if we're gonna accept the challenge that, that you've put out there many years ago, you and others, right. you know, Dr. Murdoch and others, have this is <laughs> not not new. <laughs> this is not new, and you keep pounding your head against the wall until someone listens. I think the education community has just decided to start listening uh-huh. within the last decade or so. Uh, but when you take a look at the school systems around. Um, what are you seeing in your students that come to you as a professor? Uh, are you seeing some of the skills, some of the things that are needed that you're referring to in order for this for us to address, for us being the K-12 system to address diversity? Or are you what are, what are you seeing when you see a kid walk in your class? Or or is yeah. your stu, are your students a fair representation? They're not at all a fair representation. Okay, that, I mean, Rice I, is such an extraordinary place, right. and these these kids are getting. Are better every year, and 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 I would tell people it's harder to spare the next generation when you teach at a place like Rice. But what was interesting when I first came to Rice, Rice was basically eighty percent Anglo, seventy five percent Texas, and now it's forty three percent Anglo, fifty percent Texas. I mean, it's a totally it's a it's suddenly a representative. Uh, picture of the of the new America mm-hmm. and and as I say it's hard to despair when you see the, and they, they these are just incredible kids I mean, they, they, they had the the director of admissions told me the other day he said I can't tell you the quality of people that we have to turn down yeah you know and that's but that's rice and, and well and 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 I think that any in 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 many instances not all but in many instances whether it's a institution of higher education or in some areas of the workforce. Uh, I would like to think, being a part of the K twelve system, that some of the things that have been doing that have been going on have been actually helpful, mm-hmm. and has been a part of that 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 growth. What, here's where my concern is, and I'd like for you to comment on this. Okay. My concern is is that we've done very little, and we're just now beginning to start um, putting efforts into the workforce. Right, workforce preparedness. Workforce preparedness, yeah. and you've been talking about that yeah, for years, and 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 so I know the listeners. Yeah, not everybody has to go to four year colleges, but they need that education, that that those skills that connect them to the technical world of the twenty first century. And this is coming from a four year university guy, from a, a Rice <laughs> University right. professor. Um, so if 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 you would kind of pair this what you what you discussed earlier, what you saw in the 80s and, and, and what you've seen over the last 30 years or so about if if you as a city don't address this education issue, then we will not be prosperous. Talk about what you're seeing now in the area of workforce development to meet the demands of the economy, the workforce. Uh, and it doesn't have to necessarily be broken down by, yes, you need a four year right. a degree or you don't. But what are the skills and things that you're seeing? And well, how? You know, good question. And it's also another one of the positive things that I think we've both been seeing happening in Houston is a growing recognition that schools have a responsibility to connect kids to the technical jobs of the 21st century. If you, if you drop out of high school and you don't have special skills as a performer or an, or an athlete or an artist and you just say, put me to work, Houston – you're not going to find a job. And if you find a job, it will not pay you enough to support a family. The only way to improve the lot of the poor in the new economy of the 21st century is to invest in their skills. And what we've become to realize is that you've got to start that investment early. 
and 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 this whole program of of you know I tell you the most important institution of higher education in 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 this city is not Rice University. Wonderful and important as Rice is, it's the community college system mm-hmm. where we take kids out of coming out of high school with few skills and connect them to those jobs. And now what's happening is that the high schools themselves are beginning to connect kids to those to those opportunities. And as I say, you don't need four years of college, but you do need more than you can get in a normal. Uh, high school in the, in the way that it's normally been, been been taught, and you can see this happening now with with the upskill Houston efforts uh, from the Greater Houston Partnership and from the kind of work that that high schools in A Leaf are doing that is just extraordinarily positive and important. Yeah, I, I think a facility like we're recording this mm-hmm. this episode right now in is an example of that. The um, from from the from the upskills work that from the Greater Houston Partnership. And the convening of all aspects of our of our community, what is what has given you the the most hope by bringing higher ed, K twelve, community college, the workforce, political leaders, business leaders? What have you seen from your perspective that you that you feel continues to be to be continued and then improved upon right. as we move forward? Yeah, I mean, in this area as, as in others, there's the hope comes in the much clearer and fuller understanding of these issues, a growing recognition. This is not the 20, 20th century anymore. The, the strategies that work so well for Houston when our location are the East Texas oil fields was the basis for our wealth when 82% of all the jobs in Houston were tied into the price of oil. Now is a much more complex and, and, and richer world of, of, of diversity and of, of um, you know, new technical skills that are going to be needed for the jobs that used to be used to be able to do as an apprentice for, for a, a, a big company. I mean, all those things. So there's much more awareness of these things than we've seen before. I'm concerned that I haven't seen enough actual action, and we begin to see some of it. But ultimately, we're going to have to spend more money. Ultimately, we're going to have to we're going to have to turn ourselves into a learning society. Schools can't do it alone. There's a tremendous need for preschool, after-school programs, summer programs. There's a need for for volunteers in the schools, and, and I think every every business in Houston ought to be adopting the school and be involved in in that educational process and recognizing that if we're going to have an educated workforce, we've got to make those investments today. And if we don't have an educated workforce, we're not going to attract the talent that will grow the businesses of Houston in the 21st century. Right, and you can see that also in the uh, attention being paid to, to a more building a more resilient city that can that would be less susceptible to floods, uh, a city with less environmental pollution, a city that is more attractive. As you can, um, one of the great wake-up calls was when Houston tried to tried to uh, made, made its bid to be the host for the 2012 Olympics in 2002. You may remember, mm-hmm. and we had we had just opened that, that uh, light rail uh, line that was going to take people out to the to this brand new state of the art sports venue. We were going to turn the Astrodome into the largest air conditioned, fully enclosed track and field venue on the planet. We had building new restaurants and hotels. Houston did not get a single vote. When the when the committee in, two, in, in 2002 decided who should be the the host for the for the Olympics, and we said, "What happened? Why?" We, we thought we were so. Houston is ugly. We're not going to bring the world's people to an ugly city. Yep. Houston is much less ugly today, and there's an awareness of of the need to to reinvent ourselves, to reposition Houston for success. And so that's where the optimism comes in. The the pessimism and the concern is that we haven't yet found ways to effectively translate. That new awareness into really down you know, at the bottom line to action down into real action. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and and I, you know that's, that's kind of where I was going. Was you know you got 
however many school districts in this area, and in many cases, they're all doing their own thing mm-hmm. in a silo. And in some cases, A-Leaf is no, is no yeah. different than anyone else. Well, so you got so much on your plate to deal yeah. with. It. Yeah, you, yeah, well, there's, yeah, there's so much, and there's so and, – and, and just to partner with another taxing entity and another governmental structure in mm. the school district sometimes is, is difficult. And we're going to – that's going to be a topic for another day. But, it's, but I think it gets to the, to the heart of your, of your point that we have no choice but to come together. Right. Everyone and, and think in new ways, and think in new ways, yeah. and then act in new ways. Right. The yeah. uh, and that's and there's reason for hope there because Houston is pretty good on that. It's you know we're less ideological than we are pragmatic, and that that idea of uh, okay, what do we need to do to position? You know, God did not intend a major city to be built on this crummy you know, <laughs> mosquito infested <laughs> yellow fever, uh, yeah, flooding. We did it, right? And we, and we seized those moments. So what are the challenges and opportunities today? And Houston enlightened self-interest. You know, my picture of the apocryphal oil man is, I don't care about air pollution. So what if, so what if it smells? So what if, if kids are having some asthma attacks? If he wants to, but if I've got to help clean up the air in order to attract the talent that will grow my business in the city, all right. And it's that enlightened self-interest that gives Houston a real opportunity to, say, to roll up its sleeves and say, okay, the can-do spirit says we now we've got a new set of strategies that we need to put into place to seize the opportunities of the 21st century in the way we did the opportunities of the 20th. You, you made a comment that Houston has always been more pragmatic than ideological. Yeah, I think that's right. Where, where does that come from? Do you think? I think just the challenge from the beginning of, of making of this, making this yeah. system work. Taking a marsh and, uh, yeah. and building a city yeah. on top of the marsh, right? Although we were also incredibly lucky. Right, both with, with the discovery that we were sitting on this gigantic freshwater aquifer yeah. that was a big f- force, and then of course, uh, within 600 miles of, of the greatest uh, concentration of natural resources on the planet, <laughs> and Houston was right there, and and the Galveston storm that destroyed our our arch rival, and Houston then became a major port, and but a lot of luck, but also seizing of those opportunities. And that's the challenge and the opportunity today. Yeah, I don't think most people today don't realize the 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 breadth of the Galveston of the city of Galveston prior to the storm, and and, and the competition, if you will. Well, yeah, Galveston was was beginning to lose out actually because it was an island, whereas Houston could keep expanding. Right. But uh, we were just a, a transshipment place, uh, bringing the materials from the agricultural hinterland into Houston, putting on crummy little barges and pushing it along the, the Buffalo Bayou <laughs> to the great port of Galveston. And yeah. from there out into the – and that's where we would have remained had, had – uh, uh, that 19, 1900, September 7th, 1900, the destruction of Galveston, and four months later, January 4th, 2001, the, the Beaumont the Spindletop, uh, spindletop yeah. gusher. And, and then for 80 years, we were just riding the old boom. <laughs> right. And now this is a challenge to rethink our strategies as we position Houston for prosperity in the 21st century. What do you... Speaking of challenges, what 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 did you learn over this last survey um, after Harvey? Did you did you sense, or was there any evidence that there was a change in attitudes on anything related? Yeah, well, we'll have to see, right? But but uh, it's it's another one of those wake up calls that that tells you we can't keep growing this way. We have to. It's not a question of alternatives to growth, as someone once said. It's a question of, of alternative ways of growing. 
How do we grow in a way that 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 enhances our our resilience and protects uh, protects us from the future floods that are going to be coming? The storms are not going to get lessened; they're going to get uh, strengthened by climate change and all those other things. And and you can see the city having come out and voted. Very small percentages voted, but the, but by eighty three percent voted to tax ourselves a bond for two point five billion dollars to, mm-hmm. to for infrastructure investments to protect the uh, uh, to build a third reservoir to to control the ways in which uh, uh, buildings are going to be constructed to raise raise houses in, in the in the floodplain so that they're they're less susceptible to flooding. Uh, and and you can see a city beginning to rethink that basic philosophy that said free enterprise automatically does the right thing and and developers are the people who ought to make those decisions and we need less government, not more government. I think there's a growing recognition. We need the right level of government. Right. And that calls for some rethinking of, of the strategies that we have in place. I, I, don't, I don't know. Uh, I'm sure you've given thought to it and paid attention to it. But related to how Houston has evolved is is by, um, I guess, with open arms accepting Latinos and African Americans after the the big oil boom, I mean the, the oil crisis back in the early eighties. Yeah, and Katrina, of course. And, and Katrina, yeah, we didn't didn't even talk yeah, about tr- was... Katrina changed the landscape, particularly in the education yeah. community. Yeah. Right. I mean, all I, of I, a sudden, yeah, I remember overnight growing by three thousand kids right. that. And largely kids who were just really deprived oh, in their education. Yes, I mean, yeah, just mark, we thought we were not in good shape. <laughs> yeah, well, we still, we, you know, that was what, 2005? Yeah, 2005. September 2005. So last year was for, for a, a, a Katrina um, evacuee. If they'd have stayed in the Houston area, they would have graduated high school for the, if they'd been oh, in kindergarten. Yeah, okay. And we had a bunch of kids that way. We have a lot of teachers and a lot of adults that, that fled. Yeah. Um, but now you're looking at what's happening on the southern Mexican border with the, right, the, the caravan, caravan of, of people. And, yeah, and these are not immigrants. These are people seeking asylum. They're right. doing exactly what America intended. You come and you tell us why you feel that you need this asylum. And, and it, America is supposed to be a, a welcoming place. So what, what, what happens in Houston? Uh, or does this just kind of – does it become part of the melting pot of Houston if – if some of that caravan, for lack of a better term, or those seeking asylum, uh, how do you see the pressures it puts on the infrastructure uh, in general, whether it's that that specific group or just any— Just a growth in general. Just growth in general. Another one million people are expected to move into Harris County in the next 20 years. One million more. Where are they going to go? Right. Who's <laughs> going to teach them? And, and how do we—yeah, exactly. Yeah, what hospitals are they going to go to yeah. when they're sick? Right. On the other hand, we need young people coming in, right? It's, I mean, it's the aging of America. The fastest growing age segment of the American population are men and women over the age of 80, growing faster. And we have not seen anything yet as the baby boom turning 73 this year moves into senior status. And, and that's why we need to rethink how we're, you know, we build a city totally predicated on the automobile. I'm not sure I want all those 85-year-olds driving everywhere. And <laughs> <laughs> so, again, part of the rethinking. I mean, With all due respect to 85-year-olds, right? <laughs> yeah, that's right. It's not still young, but <laughs> yeah, no, no, I, <laughs> not I, quite I, as sharp. So, what, so that's an interesting, the, so, the fastest growing subpopulation of our population. Yes, isn't that interesting? That's right, because you don't think of that. I don't know. Yeah. I never yeah. thought about it. I'm sure you said it. I just never yeah. dawned on me until right. you just said it. Well, that baby boom, That's. I mean, that's the story. The 76 million, this pig being swallowed by a python, is like, just has transformed America over all these 60 years and is doing it again. That's that big generation 
moves into retirement, and it, it, and who will do the jobs and who will you know and more and more we need young people and 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 so that's an interesting moment when. Uh, you know, as you uh, as we welcome some of these asylum seekers, uh, Houston was always one. Houston was one of the prime re, uh, refugee resettlement areas. Of the country. It's now way lower. Right? We've basically cut off mm-hmm. acceptance of refugees. Uh, it's a tiny number compared to the 6.8 million going on 9 million that, that are in, in the Greater Houston metropolitan area. The four and a half million in Harris County. Uh, same thing with with Katrina. Everyone's very worried. All these, 50, what was it, 150,000 people? From, mm-hmm. But they were coming into a world of, of 5 million. And right. So it's absorption is not a problem. And young people is, is going to be an asset. Uh, we're already near full employment. Uh, so it, and, and immigration itself has basically ended. Right? The, our, the Pew Research Center announced the last three years more Mexicans left the United States to go back to Mexico than left Mexico to come to America. The slight growth that's going on in immigration is more Asian than it is Latino. Mm-hmm. I tell people, you know, the, the growth of the Latino and Asian populations in Houston are no longer new immigrants. They're the 100 percent American kids who are the children of the immigrants of 25 and 30 years ago. And that changes everything for people in Houston. It's, you know, are they ever going to learn English? Are they ever going to become American? We're falling in love with each other, marrying, making multiracial babies. Right? One third of all the marriages involving an Asian in the last three years involved a non-Asian. 28% of all married U.S.-born Latinos are married to non-Latinos. We're moving into this really? trans, transracial world where... Ethnicity will become less and less important, and and the big problem and big challenge will be the class divide, not the ethnic divide. Which gets us back to the education. Exactly, and it's happening in every community. A growing middle class and a growing underclass predicated above all else on quality education. Where do you see the the or what's the what's the the data telling you or what are people telling you in terms of this infrastructure with healthcare? Because I, I would, I would, I'd be interested to know if part of the reason for that large, booming population of the eighty to eighty-five year old baby boomer, in some part, has to do with improved health, sure. improved sciences, or living longer. Yeah. Or, well, that's one of the big stories of our lives, right? But you reach sixty-five in good health, you've got a quarter of your life ahead of you. So see, I'll just talk about the young old. You don't get to be old, old until you're in your late 80s, early 90s. Yeah. We chose 65 as the time when you were old and were supposed to retire in 1906 when 7% of Americans reached the age of 65. We said, well, my gosh, you make it to 65, you deserve to be taken care of by the rest of the couple of months you have to go fishing or to sit on your porch. <laughs> it's incredible expansion of, of life. That's, and, that's, and I always tell you know, school districts, there's an incredible resource there, these young old who are retired and are and have 15 years of vigorous continued adult life ahead of them, get them in the school systems. Get them reading to these kids. Get them tutoring after school uh, after school programs. Uh, the the we've always found in the education system that if you put one of those individuals in a building in a classroom, kids behave. <laughs> that, that respect there, for the elders. There's almost like a respect yeah, for the elder, you know. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, we all probably just offended. I probably just offended every sixty-five-year-old, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sneaking up on it. So yeah. it's uh, yeah, it's uh, it's but, it, but it's, uh, getting personal. It looks very young to me now. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think? So, Steve, um, have we covered everything? I think we've covered. Yeah, I mean, I okay. I could talk to you all day long. Oh, I, I would. Um, so this going back to the very beginning of this, the the reason we're doing this. Uh, not only with you, but in, excuse me, in, as we go forward, 
is we're trying to give not only the A-Leaf community, but uh, the greater Houston area a glimpse of how everything touches education. It's almost like mm-hmm. education is the is the axle and yeah. everything yeah. spokes. Really some, just, I tell people, you know, that education is not a panacea, but if we get it right, that'll solve most of our problems. <laughs> exactly. There's very few things we can say that will solve the That's world's problems. Uh, but education is one yeah. of them. Yeah. And uh, so just kind of a parting comment, what's what what what's the one thing about what we've talked about that keeps you up at night? Is there is there is it if we don't get it right, we don't prosper in the future? Yeah, is it I, simple I, as that? I got to admit, it is education and it's it's how well are we doing with this younger generation that are disproportionately African-American Latino facing all kinds of, of hardships that come. You know, HISD is is what, 216, 206,000 kids. Mm-hmm. 85% are African-American Latinos, 70% qualify for reduced cost of free lunch programs. And again, poverty and all the things that poverty does to families and, to, and, 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 and access to health care. Houston has the greatest medical complex in the world, and Houston has the highest percentage of children without health insurance of any major city in the country. That's that inequality and that failure to recognize that we're all in this together and this is our future and and uh, and and you know this is this is these are the cards that this generation has been dealt and I'm not yet confident as as, as, as we've been talking about uh, how well this city is prepared to really make, take bite the bullet take the actions that will make the investments to prepare this next generation for success and it's a critical question for all of us. Well. Um, I can speak for one school system <laughs> that we're going to do everything we can do no, to, okay. to address that. Yeah. Uh, I don't believe for one second that others don't want that or don't believe that. It's just like you said earlier, it's one thing to talk about it. It's one thing to agree with. It's another thing to do something about it. Yeah. So, uh, well, Dr. Kleinberg, thank you very much. Uh, this is this is whether anybody listens to this or enjoys it, I don't know. I've had a blast. <laughs> Me too. Thank you. <laughs> so thank you for coming out here and and uh and and we'll stay in touch and we'll follow this up sometime in the future. But I do appreciate okay. you. Great. Thank, thank you. you. Great to be here. Thank Thanks. This has been Impact Ed with H D Chambers in the A Leaf Independent School District. Thank you for listening and we'll be back with future topics.